0: What did you learn from that whole experience? Just
1: having to go through what you went through. God is great. Is it that simple? God is great. Don't get no simpler than that, bro.
0: Did you know that? I mean, I'm, I'm. everybody knows that, but the way you know it now, did you know it before that incident took place?
1: You can know it all you want, but until you got to pick up that cross that you can't carry, and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know.
0: This week, obviously, we all witnessed uh, the tragic loss of NBA great Kobe Bryant and the other eight folks that were on the uh, helicopter with him. And as a result, God really led me to kind of pivot a little bit, even though I'm staying in our series, Mojo. And you'll understand why what I'm about to talk to you about is so key to getting your mojo back. But it led me to a scripture in in Luke chapter number 12. And I, I want you to turn there with me. It'll go up on the screen in just a second. Here's what it says. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Even though many of us experience the death of family and friends and loved ones and happens all the time, there there are certain passings that kind of grip us, that make us think and contemplate and so on and so forth. And I think what happened to our nation this week when we saw Kobe, who in our mind was invincible, Leave this earth at age 41. And by the way, let me preface all my comments by saying this, even though I'm going to talk to you about what seems to be a morbid subject today. I believe as children of God, we can believe God for long life. It's one of the promises in Scripture, right? Psalm 91 says, with long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. And so I don't want you to misunderstand anything that I'm about to say today and and think that, you know what? You can't believe God for that because you absolutely can. But I want to talk to you about something that I think is so key to getting our mojo back as we were impacted by this particular tragic event, and that is, are you ready for eternity? I want to minister to you on being ready for eternity because the way that you and I get our real mojo back, the way that you and I hit our spiritual stride is if we live knowing that this life is not all that there is. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace to every single one of us? Would you make your message real and relevant in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by telling you a story about, and by the way, shameless plug, um, I'm going to be teaching a little bit from my book, After You Die, the book has been out for a long time. And so if you don't have it yet, I, I totally forgive you for not supporting your pastor. But this is, this is one of those books that I really believe that everybody ought to have, not just because I wrote it, but because it answers some of the most important questions, the most important questions when it comes to life and death. And so there's a few copies available at the resource area, but there's not a lot. So if you want one, you can go back there and get it. Otherwise, you can get it online. But anyway, I want to begin by by sharing with you a story about my grandfather. My grandfather was what I would consider to be a man's man. You know, big, tough, strong. You know, but he was very loving as well. And he was my idol growing up. Um, we loved him as uh, five of us grandkids. We just adored him in every single way. We spent almost every weekend with him. He was either at our house or or we were at his house. And whenever Grandpa used to come over, Grandpa would always bring gifts for his kid, for his grandkids. I mean, it didn't matter that there were five of us. And he'd bring, like, big-time gifts. You know, I bring go-karts and mini-bikes. And my favorite gifts that he ever brought was this kick-and-go scooter. And you remember kick-and-go scooters back in the day? It, they, you know, back in the day, it started off with the ones that you did like this with, with your foot, you know, and they were cool. But then they invented one that had a little pump on the back of it. And you just kind of go like this, and then you can kind of stand on it and glide. And it was really fun. And that was before, obviously, hoverboards, which everybody uses today. I get it. But, but my day, it was kick-and-go scooters. And that was my favorite gift. And they were expensive and grandpa showed up with five of them in all different colors for all five of us grandkids. We loved grandpa in every way. I spent so many weekends at grandpa and grandma's Brooklyn home and uh, every particular weekend when I'd spend the time there, grandpa would always leave and he'd come home and he always come home with a giant hero sandwich. For those of you that don't know what a hero sandwich is, right? Y'all, Hicks, call it grinders and hoagies and subs. The real name for it is a hero sandwich, okay? Just so y'all know. And, And the hero sandwiches that you get in Brooklyn are not like the wannabe hero sandwiches that you get at these chains all around here. I mean, you never had a hero sandwich, so you had one from Brooklyn. I mean, they're huge. They're thick. The bread is amazing. They got real mozzarella on them. They got... Somic glaze, it did just amazing. Anyway, Grandpa would always bring one of these home. And from the time that I was like five, I could remember this. And he would have me grab one end of the sandwich, and he would grab the other end of the sandwich, and we'd race to the middle. And Grandpa knew what he was doing by that, you know, when I was five, because when I was five, he got most of the sandwich, you know. But by the time that I got to be like 14, you know, I got most of the sandwich by then. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Grandpa was really my hero, and Grandpa was bionic. See, what do you mean he was biotic? He had a prosthetic leg on one side. And so Grandpa didn't let that stop him in any way. When he would put that leg on, he would he would pretend that he was turning into the six million dollar man. Y'all remember the six million dollar man, Steve Austin? Some of y'all young people are going, what the heck is that all about? Hoagies and kick and go scooters and six million dollar man. Anyway, it was this guy that was all put together and because he had all these parts, he was bionic and he was invincible. He could run faster and he was stronger. And so Grandpa would pretend like he was turning into the bionic man. In my eyes, he really was bionic because he was big, strong, tough, invincible. I remember one particular morning, and again, I remember this like it was yesterday. My parents came into my, my room. They weren't to wake me up. They weren't as happy as they normally were. I sat at the end of my bed, and they told me something that I didn't want to believe that I couldn't believe, and that's that grandpa had passed away. Big, bionic, strong, invincible grandpa. I say, Pastor, you know, couldn't you pick something else to talk about today? Well, when I I think about Grandpa, when I think about Kobe Bryant, when I think about the story that Jesus told, they all kind of fit together. They all go together. Jesus is telling a story about a hero. He's telling the story about somebody from a Jewish perspective that is larger than life, that, that has everything that you can actually want. I mean, just, just living the dream. If Jesus were to tell the story today, he'd tell it something like this. There was this businessman. He was a, he was a real wheeler dealer type. Everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, if he, if he got involved in oil, there would be a revolution in the Middle East and oil prices would skyrocket. If you bought stocks for pennies, they would sell for dollars. I mean, this guy was everything he touched, and he became so wealthy. He was the richest man in the world, so rich that he made Bill Gates look like he was middle class. And one night he said to himself, as he was kind of contemplating everything that he had in life, he said, you know what, I've got so much, nobody can stop me, I can have whatever I want. I'm just going to take the rest of my life and just live it up and just enjoy myself and not worry about anything else. That night he went to bed dreaming about the life that he would live, and he died. And again, you're like, Jesus, come on, man. Thanks for the punch in the arm. Appreciate that, you know, pep talk, Jesus. And as the Jewish people are listening to this, Jesus has grabbed their attention because what it sounds like to us is the American dream. Just had a gorgeous wife and a couple of kids and a picket fence and a nice house. You Got the American dream, but it was also the Israelite dream. See, the Israelites to them, rich people were their heroes. Every one of their heroes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, all really, really wealthy. And in the Israelite time, that's what they aspired to be like. And so Jesus is telling this story about this really, really rich guy who is the hero of everybody else. And they love it except, of course, the death part of it. And Jesus, you would think, well, why is Jesus telling this story? He's telling this story about this hero, this bionic person, this NBA all-time great, this hero. And he tells this story. And you, why is he telling the story like this? And some people, you know, chime in, the really religiously jealous people. They chime in, they go, well, he's telling it because he's warning everybody against money. You know, as if Jesus was this anti establishment tax, tax the rich agitator back in his day. And and when we listen to the story, those of us, you know, who want to be rich but are not particularly rich, you know, there's this jealousy that rises up on the inside of the air. Another rich guy bites the dust, let's tax him big. You know, that's kind of the way America thinks these days, right? That's not what Jesus was saying. There wasn't Jesus' point. Jesus called this guy a fool. He called him a fool not because he was rich. Matter of fact, if you look at the story, everybody listening to the story thought he was an honest businessman. Jesus doesn't say he cheated, doesn't say he lied, doesn't say he he treated anybody badly. He doesn't assign any form of punishment to his business dealings. He doesn't call him a fool for the reasons that you and I would think that Jesus calls him a fool. He calls him a fool simply because he lived this life as though it were the only life. He gave no attention to what really matters. And that is not the life that now is, but the life that is to come. This guy was not ready for eternity. And so what Jesus is really telling us is this, if we don't want to be a fool in life, We need to not just live with an eye on now. Yes, enjoy life and yes, God wants to bless your life and all that kind of stuff. But don't live this life by putting all your eggs in this life because this life is not all that there is. And Jesus is telling us it's a clarion call to be ready for eternity because that's how you hit your spiritual stride. That's how you live your life uh, in a way that is effective as a Christian. It's not worrying about just the here and now, but it's asking ourselves the question, how is my here going to affect my there? And so Jesus in the story gives us, I think, at least three things that teach us what it takes to be ready for eternity. And the first thing that he teaches us is to realize that life is short. When you think about Kobe, there's, there's a lot of numbers associated with Kobe. The two numbers that he wore, he wore number eight when he first came into the NBA. And the reason why he wore number eight is because in his Adidas basketball camp, if you ever went to basketball camp, what they do is they put just a number on the back of your shirt. You know, and they have so many kids that it can get up into the hundreds. And his number was 143. So he wasn't Kobe back then. He was number 143. And finally, when he made it into the NBA, he said, the, when you add up 143, you get eight. And he said, I'm going to wear number eight because this is for me to prove to everybody that I belong here. And so he wore number eight. And then as he got a little bit older, you know, halfway through his career, he switched over to number twenty four. And when he switched over to number twenty four, he said the reason why he switched because it now he had evolved. Now he wasn't young like he used to be, although I think he switched when he was in his early twenties or mid twenties or something like that. It's funny how, as an athlete, mid twenties is starting to get old, right? And he and he and he said to himself, "Well, now that I've kind of matured a little bit, I'm evolving. I don't have the same type of skill set that I used to have. You know, you know, my body doesn't respond the way that it used to do." But he said, "Now I'm smarter. Now I'm wiser. Now I play not with just the talents that I have, but I play with the talents and the wisdom that I have." He said, "Neither one is better, but but I've just." Evolved Evolved. And so he wore number 24. And as number eight, he, he did a lot of great things. And number 24, similar great things. As number eight, he scored 16,866 points, won three titles, a scoring championship, made eight all-star selections in 707 games. As number 24, he had an eerily similar result. 16,777 points, two titles, two MVP awards, a scoring championship, an MVP award, and 10 all-star appearances in 639 games. A lot of numbers associated with Kobe. You know what number we're going to remember the most? 41. That was the number of years that he lived here on the planet. And there's a message in that. And the message in that is what Psalm 90 verse 12 says. Teach us how short our lives really are. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What's the message? If we're going to be ready for eternity, we need to realize that life is short whether you live 10, 20, 30, 50, or 100 years. It's short. Listen, listen. One author described the brevity of life in terms of how fast time moves especially as we get older. Have you noticed that? Like Sunday, I feel like it was Sunday yesterday and it's Sunday again. Like for me, Sunday just just, just comes upon us, right? And, and you feel like Christmas was just here and boom, Christmas is gonna be there again. Time moves quick when you get older. And this author writes this, he said, do you realize the only time in our lives when we like getting old is when we're kids? If you're less than 10 years old, you're so excited about aging that you think in fractions. How old are you? I'm four and a half, says every young boy and girl. Yet you are never 36 and a half. Halves only come when you're four going on five. You get into your teens and now they can't hold you back. You jump to the next number, even a few ahead. How old are you? I'm going to be 16. You're only 13, but you're going to be 16. Then the greatest day of your life, you become 21. Yes. But then you turn 30. What happened there? You turn 30. Sounds like you know something went wrong with you. Sound like you became bad milk, sour milk. You turn 30. You gotta throw them out. There's no more fun now. Just sour What's wrong? What's changed? You became 21. You turn 30, and then you're pushing 40. Whoa, put on the brakes. It's all slipping away now. And before you know it, you reach 50. And by the time you reach 50, your dreams are gone. But wait, you make it to 60. They didn't think you would, but you made it. You built up so much speed that now you hit 70. After that, it's just a day-to-day thing. You hit Wednesday. You get into your 80s. Every day you complete a cycle. You hit lunch. You turn 430. You reach bedtime. But it doesn't end there. Into the 90s, you start going backwards again. I was just 92. And then the strange thing happens If you make it over a hundred, you become a little kid again. I'm a hundred and a half. And see, here's here's the point that we all need to see is that yes, that one of the promises in the Bible that I think we should all stand for, believe for, and expect in our lives is long life here on the earth. But even what amounts to long life here on the earth is a vapor. It's a minute. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And what Jesus is telling us is simply this, that if we are going to be ready for eternity, we need to realize how short life really is because to live our life as though this is the only life is to be a fool. Second thing that Jesus tells us about being ready for eternity is that we need to prioritize what matters most. Jesus speaks of this when he says in the parable, so as he lays up treasure for himself, And is not rich toward God. So is he. What is he talking about? So is he a fool who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What does it mean to live a life that is rich toward God? Well, one layer of meaning to that is to live our lives in such a way that we please the Lord, that he's happy with us, that he's proud of us. And when it comes to living a life like that, and remember, Jesus didn't call the guy a fool because he was rich. He called the guy a fool simply because he didn't live life in order to please the Lord. He, that wasn't, he, he was playing, by the way, Monopoly with his life. Have you ever played Monopoly with your life? Have you played Monopoly? Monopoly was my game growing up. I loved Monopoly, you know. And, and I loved, and you know how it goes. The name of the game is you've got to commit to acquisition. Right, it's all about acquisition. The more stuff that you get, the stronger position you are to win the game. And, and so, you know, you get all them hotels and you own all those lands. And if you could ever get Park Place and Boardwalk and put hotels up on Park Place and Boardwalk, I mean, when people landed on your stuff, you bankrupt everybody else. The name of the game, right, was to bankrupt bankrupt everybody else, own the most, most stuff, have the most money. I loved playing Monopoly. I loved bankrupting everybody else. And I loved, matter of fact, I loved it so much that I'd even I'd even cheat to win. By the way, whenever I play board games, I always cheat. So, you know, if you play with me, board games, any games, like, you know, competition games, I'm going to find a way to cheat. I'm not going to tell you I'm cheating. I'm going to not tell you for like three, four, five years that I cheated when we did that. I remember my, my wife and I, we were playing Pictionary with the whole family. I got one of those really loud Italian families, like it's commotion when you all get together. And we were playing Pictionary, me and my wife were a team. And so, you know, you have to draw and they have to guess. So before I would even draw, I'd just say to my wife, it's a dog. Right. And and nobody would hear because everybody was, you know, loud and everybody. like, if you're all going to be loud, I'm going to cheat. You know, this, the way it is. Right. And so I would draw like a line and not, it wouldn't even look like that. My wife would go, dog. And, and we were going. you see what happens when you serve the Lord and you're married in Christ. You just think exactly alike. We had everybody thinking it was a spiritual thing. If you're going to cheat, you know, you have to throw people off when you cheat, you know, and put God in there. They ain't going to argue with that. You're like, well, maybe we should try Jesus. Anyway, we can bring people to Jesus, right? And so in Monopoly, I would cheat. I'd, I'd put some money in my back pocket. You know, I'd have a couple of those fake hundreds from another Monopoly game. So people would, if they're going to like, how you get so much money? They're counting to see if all the money's there. And it's all there, but you got an extra wad in your back pocket. It just appear all of a sudden. I love Monopoly. I love the money. But here's my problem with Monopoly is I'd get so into it that I'd actually think you could keep it. And the part that I actually hated was putting it all back in the box. Because I got, I got hung up in the fantasy of Monopoly for just a minute. I thought that what I acquired in that game that I could carry over into my life. So here's what happens to us and here's what Jesus is getting at here. There's a lot of us playing Monopoly. And we're caught up in the thinking that the acquisition of stuff is what life is all about. And we forget that you can't take it with you and that you got to put it all in the box. And this guy, he wasn't a bad guy, but this guy was a foolish guy because he forgot that no matter how much stuff he accumulates in this life, that it all had to go back in the box. And what God is basically challenging us is he's saying, don't live life. Like it's monopoly. Because it's not. There's something beyond. How do we live a life that is not monopoly? This isn't a lecture on being rich. This is a lecture on being ready. How do we live a life that is rich toward God? I think it comes down to two things, two things, at least in my opinion, living a life that is rich toward God purpose and people. What is purpose? Purpose is living your why the why behind the reason God gave you life. There is a why, there is a reason why God put you on the planet. Someone once said this, that life is the gift that God gives to us. How we live our life is the gift that we give to God. And, and, and we need to re- come to a place where we say, you know, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? Y'all have known my story. I won't tell the whole thing, but you know, my plan was to be rich first before I became a pastor. So I started out, the first question I asked myself when I was old enough to make a career decision is, what can I do to make the most amount of money possible? And to me, that was brain surgery. And so I set out to be a brain surgeon. I went to a medical science learning center in high school. We had to do an internship and a residency. We were gaining credit for college and all that kind of stuff. But the only reason why I wanted to be a brain surgeon was simply because of the paycheck. And so that's what I pursued. And then I realized that I didn't like like blood and gore and, and brains and all of that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, even to this day, I kind of test myself out to see if I've gotten over it. So I watched Dr. Pimple Popper. Have you ever seen that? And I'm like, I, I try to watch it. I'm like, oh, no, you know. Even The Good Doctor, anybody watch watched The Good Doctor, I watched that show. And sometimes they show them pictures, and I can't even watch it. That I'm like, I made the right choice. I couldn't have did it. I would have screwed somebody up real bad. <laughs> so then I evolved into, well, what's the next thing that I actually like, that I actually enjoy? And by the way, when you ask yourself the question, what do you actually like, you're getting closer to your destiny. Because likes... Desires have a lot to do with fulfilling your purpose. So I asked myself, well, what, what would I like to do, but at the same time, make a lot of money doing?" right? And, and the answer to that was I like numbers, so I became a CPA, and I was going to go back to law school, become a CPA attorney. I got about three-quarters of the way there, and then God interrupted my whole plan. Because, see, what I was all about was I was all about, you know what, listen, I'm going to think about eternal things later when life slows down. You know, when, when the kids are older, when, when they're off out of school, when we have our dream home, when our retirement is set, when we, when we could do whatever we want, and then we'll start thinking about eternal things then. And the whole time that I was executing this plan, you've heard me share this before, God kept knocking on the door of my heart saying, but, but I want you to go into ministry now. And I didn't know it at the time, but God was giving me an invitation to live my why. God was saying to me, everything else that you wanted to build your life on, it's not bad stuff. It's not bad stuff. You wanted to build your life on on uh, the big check. You wanted to build your life on the big house. You wanted to build your life on all the big this and the big that and all the stuff. He said, all that stuff goes back in the box. I'm giving you an opportunity to live your life for the why that I put stuff that matters for all of eternity. And you know, when, when sometimes decisions like that are difficult, my decision was like, <laughs> take it and say, we'll pay you 400 bucks a month. What a straight face. It's amazing, right? Like we have this thing in the church world, you know, be poor, you know. That, don't, go, don't go that way with this message. But I did it anyway because it, it, it eventually had to become about not the money, but what matters in light of eternity. And so you know the story, I said yes, and so here we are today. Purpose. What is your why? What has God called you to do with your life? And just let me help some people out. Your career may not be your why. Right? Careers are sometimes um, ways in which God allows us to support our why. And there's nothing wrong with that because I don't want everybody going out, quitting their job and saying, okay, pastor, where where can you hire me on, on, on staff at the church? We don't need you to quit your job because we need you all's tithe in order to do everything that we got going on here, right? So, so that's not just, it's not maybe ministry. Maybe it's not ministry. Maybe it's just a place in the church. Maybe maybe it's to serve somewhere. Maybe it has nothing to do with church. Maybe Maybe your why is not church, but maybe your why is to somehow use what God has entrusted you with the resources through your business or through whatever it is your career is in order to advance the gospel. Maybe it's to make a difference in one particular area of life. Maybe it's to help people out who are struggling with this or struggling with that. But you need to figure out what your why is. And you need a purpose in your life that that is where you are going to give energy and devotion and time to. Because that's what eternally matters. The way that we live our life is the gift that we give to God. But the second thing that we need to focus on, because I believe this is what God is all about, is people. People are why God made the world. People are why God created heaven. Have you ever read that scripture? Heaven was created for us. Hell was never created for us. Do you know the facts is that God doesn't want a single person to wind up in hell. It wasn't created for us. It was created for the devil and the demons. But we can choose to go there by rejecting the pathway to heaven. Heaven is what created was created for us because people matter to God. People are who God gave his son, Jesus, to die for on the cross. God revolves his whole world existence around people. Matter of fact, the scripture of the Bible that summarizes the, the heart of God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. The world, that's everybody. That's the people who you like and the people who you don't like. That's the people who you hate and the people that you love. That's the people that you think are definitely going to hell. God loves them too. I don't say God loves the saints. It says God loves the world, the world, everybody. That whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be like, how would you all get in here? You know, we, we got these people that there's no way, you know, and, and, and not that you should ever live your life like this because there are eternal rewards that are given for how we live our life because sometimes we think, you know what, uh, what does it really matter if at the end of my life on my deathbed I give my heart to Jesus Christ, I go to heaven, and isn't that the whole point? That That's some of it. But see, that's not really a heart that that really is sold out and committed to God. And besides that, there are rewards and lack of rewards that are given out in heaven. Our here really does affect our there. I don't have time to teach on that, but there's a good place where you can learn about that. It's called this book right here. Okay. (laughs) Amen. People, one of my favorite scriptures is Revelation 7-9. After these things, I looked. And behold, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It is the scripture by which one of our five core values as a church is based on diversity. Of all peoples, tribes, nations, and tongues. One of the things that I just don't comprehend is how you can be a a Christian and have any hint of racism in your heart. Because in heaven it's going to be just a mixture of people. Who do they created the diversity? You know, God's the one who's like, "I like a little color on the earth. Let me just let me just create some different shades right here." And around the throne is going to be everybody. And the way I figure it is like this: If when we get to heaven we're all going to be together, we might as well all be committed to being together now here in this life, right? Because people matter to God in every way. You might have seen it, but um, when. When Kobe passed on, they asked Shaq to reflect on it. And it's a little bit of a long clip, but I'm going to show it to you. It's about four minutes and 16 seconds. Notice that about, it it is four minutes and 16 seconds, okay? <laughs> You're like, well, it's about $7.07. Why is that about? It's $7. It's about $7. But $7.07 seven is exactly what it is. It's four minutes and 16 seconds, okay? But in this four minutes and 16 seconds, Shaq, really I think preaches he, he doesn't mention Christ and I'll do that but he preaches a message that is, is something that we need to hear check this out
1: Shaq you're the first guy I thought of when I heard this news the other day of course I talked to you and Charles and Kenny later that afternoon but
0: <clears throat> then I saw that you had gotten a text from Kobe that morning
1: or Sharif had gotten one what? Uh, how do you? How have you been over the last forty-eight hours? Man? Well, as you know, it's already been the last couple months. Been really tough. Uh, lost my little sister. Haven't been sleeping. Haven't been doing the normal things that I usually do. I work. We laugh. We kid. We joke. When I get back home and look at reality and say she's gone, it just hurts. So the other day I'm downstairs working out with my son Shakir and my nephew Columbus. And my other nephew comes in crying. And he shows me his phone. And I snapped at him. I said, man, get that out of my face. Just get it away from me. You know, we live in a world where Anything could be photoshopped. Anything could be hoaxed. I didn't want to believe it. And then I got the call from you, Charles, Kenny. Everybody called me. And then we found out it was confirmed. And haven't felt the pain that sharp in a while. 47 years old. uh, Two, lost two grandmothers. Lost a Sarge, lost my sister, and now I lost a little brother. We uh our names will be attached together for what we did. People always ask about our relationship and I tell them it's just like me and Charles. We got two strong-minded people that are gonna get it done their way. We're going to say certain things. The respect will never be lost. But when it comes to be inside the lines and win, that's what me and him, that's what we did. That's what me and Charles, that's what we do. It was sort of like a triple, triple stabbing to the heart because after you cry and wonder about that, then I get back on the internet, Rick Fox is on the plane. So now I'm, I'm I'm sick even more. I'm calling Rick. He's not answering. So now I'm 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 like, what's going on? And then the final blow, his lovely daughter was with him on the helicopter. You know, we, every time I saw his lovely wife and his kids, same thing I do with, with, with Kenny's kids and D-Wade's kids. Hi, my name is Uncle Shaq. I don't know if they know me as a basketball player. It doesn't matter. I just... I am Uncle Shaq. I try to make him laugh. And he would do the same thing. Sharif called me devastated and said, Kobe, just text me to check and see how he's doing. And he used to do that from from time to time. You know, it just makes me think that in, in life, sometimes instead of holding back certain things, we should just do. D Wade, hold on, my gosh. Oh, okay, go. We uh, we up here, we work a lot, and I think a lot of times we 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 take stuff for granted. Like I don't talk to you guys as much as I much as I need to. The fact that uh, we're not going to be able to joke at his Hall of Fame ceremony. We're not going to be able to say hi. I got five. You got four. The fact that we're not going to be able to say, if we would stay together, we could have got 10. Those are the things that you can't get back. And with the loss of my father, my sister, and my thing, that's the only thing I wish I could just say something to him again. Last time I talked to him was when we were here and I asked him to get 50 and he got 60. That's the last time I spoke to him. And I just wish I could have, you know, so... It it definitely changes me. I have to, because I work a lot. You you, you guys know what I do. I I, I work probably more than the average guy, but I just really have to now just take time and just call and say, I love you. Rick Fox finally called me and said, man, I love you. B. Shaw called me. So I'm going to try to do a better job of just reaching out and just talking to the people rather than always procrastinating because you never know. Life was too short. I never, I could never imagine nothing like this. Shaq
0: said so much in that uh, little reflection. I want to summarize it in three ways. Love openly, reconcile quickly, forgive freely. Notice what he said. He said, I don't know if you called. He said he was trying to track down Rick Fox just to know that he was okay. And finally he called and, you know, all they said was, I love you, man. And, and one of the things that that we have to do in life, if we're going to live a life that is rich toward God and where people matter, is tell the people that matter to you, that you care about, that care about you. Tell them you love them. Don't don't rush through life and miss the moment. Slow down and take time for them. Playing Monopoly is not as important as telling people how much they matter to you. Second thing, reconcile quickly. That's what he said, people often wonder if we stayed together, if we would have won 10. They didn't stay together. And the reason why they didn't stay together is they had a rift and they didn't reconcile it quick enough. Reconciling quickly is so important in life. I remember when Lisa and I first got married, it it was my job. I took it as my spiritual responsibility uh, to make sure that we always reconciled. And and so um, whenever we had a fight, I'd say, I'm sorry, all the time. And this went on for about six months, and anytime we had a little disagreement or something like that, i say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then about six months into it, we had, we had what was our first load blow-up. Anybody ever have a load blow-up being married? If you've been married for any length of time, trust me, it happens. You have to learn how to navigate through that kind of stuff, and you have to, you have to learn how to make sure that it doesn't go to places that you never want it to go again. But we had, we had one of these really big blow-ups, and, and, and she was 1,000% wrong, not 100% wrong, 1,000% wrong, you know? And here I am you know, the whole time that first six months, I'm saying sorry. And, and, you know, even if I'm being nice, I'm saying sorry for stuff that I'm wrong about 50% of the time. I mean, if I'm going to really be honest with you, it was more like, you know, maybe 99% wrong her, 1% wrong me. And I'm still saying, I'm sorry. Right. And so resentment starts to build up because I'm the only one. And then we have this big mother load fight. And, uh, and, and I'm like, I'm not saying I'm sorry. She's not going to do it. And, and, and so I learned at that point, and she's grown a lot since then, by the way, you can talk to her after service. I learned at that point that one of my, my wife's um, not so f- wonderful attributes is she, she has a tendency to be stubborn. Not that y'all's wives are like that, right, in any way, shape or form, or husbands, right? And so, so I'm I'm like, God, you know, look at me, and she's going to have to say she's sorry this time. Six months, I, I bite, bite the bullet, make it my responsibility, and I'm the spiritual leader of this home, to say I'm sorry. And, and I'm just not saying I'm sorry this time. And so we had a three-day standoff. 3 days, standoff. And I'm like, God, and we didn't talk for three days. You know how hard that is, like, to not talk for three days when you're, I'm not, I'm, I'm talking about not say anything. Not even like a nasty comment, like "Where's the toothpaste?" You know, not not even nothing like that. Just not say nothing to each other for three days, and I'm like, "God, you have to do something about this woman you gave me." <laughs> Sound a lot like Adam, right? And so for three days, and and you know, I'm a pastor at the time, right? And and so you know, in my line of work, I gotta pray, whether I want to pray or not. Can can I be honest with you? One of the reasons that I became a pastor is so I would pray. Does that make any sense to anybody? I'm like, God, if I don't become a pastor, there's no way I'm going to read my Bible like I should. There's no way I'm going to pray like I should. So maybe I'll just become a pastor, so it forces me to do it. God will get you in any way he, he has to, you know. And so I, I had to pray. And as I'm praying, like I'm trying to pray for a message and think, think I'm going to be able to go and be effective in the pulpit while we'll I have a problem in my house. We kind of think that too about life, right, that we can be effective in life when we have a problem at home. Matter of fact, on Valentine's weekend, I'm thinking about having Lisa and I talk together to you so you can hear her side of the story, you know. But I just want to tell you in advance, whatever she says is completely a lie. I promise you, it went down the way that I said, right? And so we have have this standoff for three full days and I go to pray and finally the Lord says to me, he said, I didn't change my mind about you being spiritually responsible for this relationship. Whether she says she's sorry or not, you need to make sure you reconcile this. And so what do I do after, you know, the presence of the Lord? I go and say, I'm sorry. And the best part of making up, breaking up, is when you're making up. Anyway, um, so we reconcile. We reconcile quickly, right? And, and, and here we are happily ever after. But what if we didn't? My kids may not have had parents that are still together. And no matter I know people get divorced and kids are resilient and all that kind of stuff, but there are different things that go down as a result of all that kind of stuff. And who knows how it would have affected them, how it would have affected our lives. Who, know if I, who knows if I still would have been in ministry? Who knows if Shaq and Kobe would have had 10 if they stayed together? I know that if Jimmy Johnson didn't leave the Cowboys, the Cowboys would have had like 10. I know that for a fact, right? What what about? this. Reconcile quickly. It matters because that's how you stay in right relationship with the people that matter to you. But the last thing that I, I think that Shaq was saying is he forgive freely. He said, people always ask about our relationship because, because they kind of didn't stay together. People wonder if the relationship was strained and everything. And he looks back and he says, it's like a little brother to me. And the implied thought there is that, you know, we're going to have disagreements, but there's always forgiveness that is there. And Jesus talks about forgiving freely in Matthew chapter 10. He says, freely you have received, freely give. Is there anything that we have received as children of God more freely than forgiveness? We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to jump through hoops for it. We don't have to do penance for it. I know back in the day, you know, you had your rosary beads and stuff like that. You had to say like 4,000 Our Father's Hail Marys and Glory Bees in order to be forgiven. But that's not the way it is. The way it is is that Jesus shed his blood on a cross for you and I. So if we go to God and we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it is free. And and what, what he's saying to us is kind of hypocritical. It's kind of not right. Like we we take forgiveness from God like all the time. You know, even even if we know we've, we've trampled on the grace of God, which we sometimes do, because we're like, God, can you forgive me for this? I'll never do it again. And 10 seconds later, we did it again. God, can you forgive me? And we accept it, and we do it again. And God, can you forgive me? We do it again. And we receive this forgiveness so freely, but we won't extend it to people. And what God is telling us is that we need to, as Christians, this need to be a hallmark of our life. But then the last thing that, that I think Jesus teaches us in here In this little story about being ready for eternity, is that we need to be prepared to meet our Maker. Verse number 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. This man was a fool partly because he thought that he was his body, he thought that the part of him that mattered most is the shell on the outside. And we do in our society and in our culture think the same thing. We get confused all the time. Matter of fact... All of our psyche sometimes is identified with our body. If we're feeling fat, our mood drops. And if, you know, we're feeling old, our mood drops. Not that I'm feeling either one of those things, but, but what happens is that, you know, this happens and and it hurts our attitude and our demeanor and our outlook because we think that we are our body and we forget that all our body is, is the part of us where the real us lives in. This man forgot that he wasn't his shell, but rather he was a soul an eternal part. This night your soul shall be required of you. I told you a story about grandpa. Let me tell you a story about grandma. Grandpa's wife. The last time I saw her living was in the hospital. She went into the hospital for something that didn't seem to be major. I went to go visit her in the hospital and she was alive and grandpa was a Woman, grandma was a woman of faith, and, and so uh, she was always, you know, just believing the best and all that kind of stuff. And so I saw her. She was alive. She was, she was full of color, all that kind of stuff. And I expected her to go home, and so, so I went back to Connecticut, and I told grandma, I said, when you get home, I'll, I'll come and visit with you again, and so on and so forth. And between the time I saw her and the time that I, I got back to Connecticut, she had passed away. And the last image in my mind of grandma was the image that I saw, which was full of life and color in our skin and everything like that. And, and it was funeral day. And so we all went to the Brooklyn Funeral Home, and we were hanging out waiting for the funeral um, to open the doors, funeral parlor to open the doors. And in my mind, I'm expecting that when I go in there, I'm going to see grandma. And you all know this because it's happened to almost everybody. And you you get over the casket, and you look down, and it's something that resembles grandma, but you know it, Something's missing. Don't you just know that? When you see somebody, it's not like uh, suddenly you realize that we are not a body, that something has disappeared. It's not that the heart shut down. It's not that the brain shut down. It's not any of that kind of stuff because you can resuscitate a heart. You can fix a brain. But, but, but when there's a part of you that leaves, you, you can't do anything put life back in the body. And that part of us is this thing called the soul. It's really the spirit and the soul, but for sake of time, I'm referring to the entire inner man, the real you, the part of you that lives forever, the part of you that leaves your body when your body gives out on this earth, that's called the soul. And the scripture talks a lot about the soul. The first place it talks about the soul is in the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter two, verse seven, God formed man out of the dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, the man came alive, a living soul. The body needed God to give it, to breathe into it, a soul, in order for it to come alive. Without the soul, the body is nothing because all the body is is a shell. It's the outside. It's the part that allows us to be on the planet. But the true you, the part of you that lives forever and ever and ever and is eternal is your soul. And this should get some of you encouraged who maybe have lost some loved ones because they are really not dead. They just left this life. But their soul has gone on. As a matter of fact, when the body talks about, when the, when the scripture, the Bible talks about the body and soul, look what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, what's the earthly tent? It's the body. Look at your neighbor and say, your body's a tent. That's kind of funny, ain't it? That's why I had to do that. <laughs> Who wants their body to be a tent? Some of y'all like got mansions, but no, just playing, just playing, just playing, right? Like the point is that the body is like the outside. It's it's the part. What do you do in a tent? You go into the tent. He said, "If if the tent that we live in, the tent that we live in, so we is not the tent. We is not the body. We live in the body." We live in the tent. If that's destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. What is that? That's the soul. That's the inner man. That's the real us. That's the part of us that lives forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And don't confuse the two. I remember years ago when I was t- teaching this, and some of you have been in our church for a long time remember this. I was teaching about how the real us lives inside of our body, and I thought to illustrate it, I would, I would uh, have them get me an astronaut costume. Okay? And so I told them, I said, go get me an astronaut costume, but I didn't check it beforehand. I, I trusted them. Because right? sometimes you got to trust. And so my plan was I'd be teaching about this. I would say, hold on a second. I'd go back off stage and I'd put the astronaut costume on and come back out. And they would see that I'm looking out from the astronaut costume. And I'm thinking, NASA astronaut, get me a costume. If I ask for a costume, don't get me something put together in the backyard somewhere. Get me a real one. You know? Well, I went back there and I looked at the costume and said, one, one size fits most. And back then, I I wasn't in most category. I'm barely in most category right now. I wasn't in most category. And then I look at it. It's like white spandex. Like, you gotta be kidding me, right? Like, what do I, what do I do now, right? But being the good pastor that I am, it kinda wasn't really spandex, it was kinda like just stretchy material, you know, not quite as revealing as spandex, but revealing enough! You know, by the way, spandex is not for everybody, okay? Just, can I, can I just put that out there? Come on, come on, put your hands together if you agree with me. Spandex is not for everybody! All right? And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, what I do here, being the good pastor that I am, I'm like, I'm, being, I'm willing to be made a fool of for Christ. I mean, whatever it takes to preach the gospel. And so so I, you know, get into this thing. It's kind of rough. Put the helmet on and walk out. And you got that picture? There it is. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that midsection right there. That's that's a serious midsection. Anyway, so look at me, still reliving being a fool for Christ for your sake but they got the point. I was looking out. Oh, they took it out. I would thank you for taking it down so quick. You can't see that too long. This is a little bit. Look at some of you click. It'll be all over the social media, right? Look at my pastor. Yeah. Got a big tent, doesn't he? (laughs) You got the point though, right? Looking out. The real me was on the inside. And here's what The scripture is teaching us. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. Is that the real us needs to be ready for eternity. And the only way the real us gets ready for eternity is if our soul meets its Savior. Our soul needs to meet its Savior. If our soul doesn't meet its Savior, our soul is not ready for eternity. Jesus is what makes the difference. One more scripture and I want to close with this. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. The apostle Paul is talking about the importance of the soul meeting the Savior. And how life is really all about not not acquisition of stuff, but rather our soul meeting our Savior. Here's what it says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. I would underline that word rubbish. That I might gain, I would underline that word gain, Christ. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now let me explain this and we'll get out of here. And When you leave, you have to leave quick again today, okay? Promise? Pick a square? Rubbish is a wuss way of translating that word. It's like that the translators didn't want to really write it like it was. The King James gets as close to it as possible. The King James says dung, D-U-N-G, but that's even like a, a moderate way of, of saying it. A real right way of saying it is if they had bumper stickers in Bible times, it, it, would, it would say, it would use this word, and, and the Greek word is scubbling. It would say scubbling happens. That, that would be the best translation for this particular word, dung. There's another word there in the verse that I drew your attention to, gain. And it's the Greek word kardeno. And, and kardeno is a gambling term. And some of you are kind of like, you know, you know, your shorts are in a bunch right now because you're like, look at the Apostle Paul, he cursed. And now he's talking about gambling. Relax, okay? Just trying to make a point. And what does this word kardeno mean? Well, when I was on a cruise ship one time, I was watching this little old lady play the slots. I wasn't in the casino. I was watching from afar. And the reason why I wasn't in the casino is because when I went into the casino to play blackjack and sat down at the table, the first question that the guy asked me who's sitting next to me is like, hi, what do you do for a living? I'm like, seriously? Like, really? I'm like, all right, I'm out of here, God. and <laughs> just, just walked out, right? <laughs> and so I decided to just watch from afar to live vicariously through all the sinners, you know? So I'm watching this little old lady, and she puts a quarter in the slots, and she pulls the arm, you know, and and she goes, scubble on. Remember what that means, right? And she puts another quarter in, and she goes, pulls the arm, she goes, scubble on. She puts it again, scubble on. Why did she keep yelling scubble on at the machine? Because it didn't win. She wanted to hit the jackpot. And that's what the word kardeno means. And so what the apostle Paul is saying here is he's saying this. He says, I count everything in my life that has been for my good or for my bad, scubble on. The titles that I've had, scubble on. The jobs that I've had, scubble on. The checks that I've made, scubble on. The house that I live in, scubble on. The status that I've achieved, scubble on. The, The social media following that I have, scubble on. All that is scubble on here's what he says, he says because one day on a dusty road to Damascus I hit the mother load. I hit the jackpot my soul met a savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he saved my soul and he forgived my sins and he washed me clean and here's what he was saying, he's saying the reason why everything else is scumble out and that's the jackpot is because all that other stuff has got to go back in the box but Jesus travels with me off into eternity are you ready for Eternity. Are you ready? Because at the end of the day, it's kind of all that really matters. Um, Solomon, the richest person who ever lived, he looked back at the end of his life. Here's what he said. So so just want to like be rich, no problem with that. Okay, please be rich, be rich and be faithful to the Lord, okay. I have no problem with that. I like having stuff, right? But let's not live for that stuff because Solomon at the end of his time, he looked at everything he acquired when he knew he was about ready to go on. By the way, the apostle Paul wrote that text when he was about ready to pass on. It was his like kind of last words. Solomon is about ready to pass on. He goes, looks at it and goes, meaningless. Meaningless. It's all Meaningless. Because at the end of the day, it goes back in the box. And what matters most is are you ready
1: for eternity Would you stand on your feet?